Hello and welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that you are angry with me. You're a little bit disappointed in me and things of this nature. But let me just let me just say something. I missed you and I missed this humble place. I wanted always to to be back. Wanted always to follow up. But the problem that things got out of hand. I had a lot of moving pieces. So I had to get things done, and that's why I was far away a little bit. But the intention is there, and I've always told you that I'm here to stay, no matter what it takes. And plus, the weather unbelievably changed to the point where I literally have never been huskier. And, you know, it would never be fun coming to you uh, in that situation where you would be struggling to listen to me and things of this nature. So I just postponed it. I said, when I'm ready... When my situation allows me, I mean, my work releases me, I would come up and, you know, state those words that would be apologetic for me and maybe you will accept it. You're good people. You're good. Oh, thank you so very much. So let's get things done. Let's get started. As far as I can tell, today's episode marks the fourth episode. And this pains me a lot because I'm dragging my feet in here. Had I been free, I would have reached my seventh or eighth episode by now but what to do i can't help it i just have to stop crying over the spilled milk so i'm coming today bearing with me an interesting and a very difficult subject to discuss but i brought it to myself because i promised you that i would be bringing all the time a subject that is worth telling worth discussion and something that benefits you all the time so this is exactly what i devoted myself uh, into so i'm keeping it up We've explored so many different subjects and themes, but today's one, I think, is different and way more complex than the other ones that we had spoken about. So what I want from you is to grab a cup of coffee or tea, and if it's Mauritanian tea is preferable, <laughs> and listen to me carefully. We're discussing narcissism and Machiavellianism. I know how different they are, but knowing one makes you understand the other. So in order for you to comprehend easily, I brought them together because one of them fathers the other one. One of them is a concept and the other one is a personality trait that feeds in the first one. So starting with narcissism is a personality trait an aberration of one of the seven deadly sins, the sin of pride, Eskinor. This is all what I can think of from the anime series, The Seven Deadly Sins. This is just a footnote. What I want to illustrate is that extreme pride can turn you to a narcissist. I'm not saying that you don't have to be proud of yourself or proud of who you are or proud of where you came from. Be proud of whatever you want. I don't care. Knock yourself out. But with limits, of course. We need you to be limited in that. By so doing, you don't dispossess others the right to be proud of who they are. In other words, other people's pride doesn't get you offended. But if the flip side is true, that's a problem. And I think this speaks a lot to you because we are quite familiar with this. Just tell me, who doesn't have that friend or that cousin or that boss or that colleague who thinks out of extreme pride that they're in the pinnacle of civilization, the mover and shaker, the people of the driver's seat, and everybody else has to be in the passenger seat for life. 
This is the psychology of a narcissist. They are seeking attention and admiration, and they always hold a positive view of themselves. And they get shocked when you address one of them as a narcissist. They would retort back saying, what? Like, what do you mean? They don't even know that they are narcissists. The narcissist people don't even know that they are narcissists. They think they're normal, but maybe you're not. For them being the crucible of attention and admiration, plus a little success, irrespective of the way they take down for that, marks that they have the drive, they are ambitious and energetic and dynamic, and everybody should be like that. We agree, but it all depends on the way. If you chose to be manipulative, i.e. to be the person on the driver's seat, as you said earlier, and at the same time you're stripping other people their right and trampling over their neck and making them subordinates, that's what is wrong about you. That's what is never normal. Listen to this. The funny thing is that is a predominantly likable personality. Shocking news. Yeah, people tend to like it a lot, but I don't know why and how they do like it. And this stands as an incongruous contradiction to all what I've been saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to get you confused. Maybe some of you would tune out. Rubbish. You've been warning us and now you're telling us that this personality is liked and we have to take this for granted? And we, that means that we have to like it at the end of the day? Why are you having this conversation in the first place? This is how you think, maybe. Those who are narcissists at first will never show you the narcissistic behavior they have. That will be hidden. So they masquerade as good people, as people who you think you would socialize with or you think they deserve to integrate your network of relationships. That's their first goal, to show you the good side. Only the good side, how confident they are, how highly ambitious they are. And I think everybody likes to socialize with people who are confident and they are ambitious and they would boost you a little bit. It would boost you confidence and it would boost you to be as ambitious as they are. So this is what we seek after at the end of the day. But the thing is, you've been duped and you fall prey for that. Because simply, you've been indoctrinated. You're being hypnotized. What now? It's too late. It's fait accompli, my friend. Now that he is in your life, you would notice everything for what you were blindfolded of. You would start noticing that this entity never cares, emotionless, no empathy, defensive, reactive, and aggressive, nightmarish life. But all of this you brought to yourself because you weren't careful at first. And now you have nothing to do about it. So touching upon the scientific definition of this phenomenon might help us decipher this personality, I think. So listen, it is said that narcissism is of two types, grandiose and vulnerable narcissism. They're both ego-based, but we are more familiar with the first than the second. With grandiose narcissism, what you see is a person with a great sense of self-importance, sense of entitlement, you see substantial energy or maybe charisma, he has a drive and the ambition. So half of the folks who are like this end up in leading positions or in politics. You would say, whoa, that's great. So what's wrong with these people? <laughs> this is exactly what I want you to think, that everything is on point and nothing is wrong. Because what they peddle is just the good side of theirs. But the dark and more toxic megalomaniac side is kept till later after having been shackled in the cobwebs of these people. And this is a surprise that we will be getting. 
Imagine with me, this is your life partner. Let's say that we're talking about your husband or your wife. I know it's very difficult. What about you being held as a subordinate and not as an equal life partner? Would you be patient on that? You're there to admire them. You're there to tell them how good they are. So this is your oath of allegiance to them. And in return, you get nothing but more disappointment and regret. I think this is the end with the first type. The second type of narcissism, vulnerable narcissism. This word vulnerable might make you feel comforted. At least we're not talking about grandiose narcissism, the thing that we've been grappling with, that annoying personality. We're talking about vulnerable type. It must have been a softer version of this thing. I don't want to disappoint you, but it's not the case. It's way more dangerous, my friends. So people of vulnerable narcissistic treat tend to be introverted, less ambitious, no drive, with very low self-esteem. They want to be successful. They fantasize about success, but they're not willing to put the effort, nor the energy, to make that happen. And with this, they have the same sense of entitlement that we spoke earlier about, but rather than being more ambitious, they are a little more nervous. And the pendulum swings between them feeling sometimes superior and sometimes inferior to others, which makes them easily offended, anxious all the time, and hostile toward people who don't admire them or put them in the pedestal. So if you have a person of this elk in your network, you should be very careful, and preferably you should be distancing yourself from them. Because as far as I can tell, this is the symptom of the narcissistic personality disorder, the NPD which combines the inferiority and superiority complex. The fusion of grandiose and vulnerable narcissism. That's what I've been telling you, that the latter is way more dangerous than the first one because it can easily turn to a mental illness where you need a psychiatrist or you're gone. So let's shift gears right now and talk about Machiavellians, Machiavellianism, and what have you. We're not going that far from what we've been um, discussing in here. Machiavellianism concept generates the so-called Machiavellians. They are power-obsessed and uh, they're seeking it wherever they may be. The genesis of this term dates back to the time of life of Niccolo Machiavelli. He's the founder of Machiavellianism and he came to be that by writing his famous book, The Prince, which later, literally after five years of his death, his book came to the lame light. This book is scary and it is dedicated to leaders, to people of power, not to peasants, not to people of our likes. And I think the reason behind writing such a book that is selective, because it targets one community, those who are in power, substantiates that Machiavelli himself was a power obsessed, was trying to curve his own niche by dedicating a book to a person who is in power, and then that person hires him, because he was, uh, at some point, uh, fired and unemployable, and I think jailed for some time, where he had been ridiculed, demonized, dehumanized by the Medici family. And guess what? He still chose to be a psychophan, a mouthpiece to those who have power. So we're not just talking about a guy that people had just happened upon finding him unemployable and just they decided to have him hold a number of leading positions. Not at all. This guy was qualified from the start. This guy was sharp, and what he wrote was really powerful. 
And this is what people would find out later, after his death. He couldn't make it to get himself employed in person, which was what he aimed by writing such a book to begin with. But he wrote it knowing that this book would outlive him. And it really does. Machiavelli is still living among us. He's in the head of every leader, he's in every government, and he's holding the most important position, the power of manipulation. Yes, my friend, this is exactly what this book proselytizes. Teaching people how to seize power and how to keep themselves in power for as long as they want. And this tells us something. We're always asking ourselves why our leaders are leading in a certain way. Why are they corrupt? Why do they prefer corruption over construction? Why do they like to break the law rather than respecting the law? So we have a lot of questions that more often than not pop up. The answers are all in the prints. In a nutshell, what you will hear right now will give you great understanding of how we are governed, the way we are governed as people, and how we're being duped, which totally led to submission. So listen here, the book starts with a dichotomy of power, i.e. the way you reach out to power, either through bloodline, which makes you uh, one of the royal family, or through election, which makes you a president. That means you are in a republic. And here he speaks about something very important, which is decentralizing or centralizing the power. To elaborate, let's give you a real-life example. Let's assume that you're going to colonize a country where the power is being distributed, i.e. not centralized to the summit, i.e. the leader has so many other subordinates who lead with him. According to the book, it's very easy to topple such a government, but it would be very difficult for you to stay or to keep the power for long. But on the other hand, if the country's power is condensed, getting possession of that country would be the most difficult. But if it happens and you succeed, controlling it is a no-brainer. Not only this, but what the book said about controlling is thought-provoking, really. First, the position of leadership is not for the weak. And here he's talking to leaders. He says that leaders should be as strong as a lion and as intelligent as wolf. Otherwise, keeping that power would be an impassibility. And here he goes with the three patterns of control. First of which, the bloody way, which means creating untold havoc, destroying the country at large, eliminating all those who are chanting freedom or believe in it, creating divisions and, and community problems where people start to fear each other. And here the problems pile up, which cause the people to be more perplexed. They don't know what to do and where to go and what to stand with. And this is enough to make them forget about the tyranny of the ruler and they go after earning their basic needs to stay at least alive. The second type of power is when expanding. I mean, when, it, when you are conquering another place, you, the ruler, should go and inhabit that place. Be a part of that demographic. This way creates more fear among the masses. And they would say, these are the people who toppled the government that was here. So they did this to the government. They turned it to dust. What about us? So they would settle for those thoughts and embrace the fate and be submissive. The third form is, just likening the, the, the second one, where the leader sends an army to stay there. Let me just tell you now what the book said about the relationship between the leader and the people. Let me ask you this question. Do you think the leader should be good or bad? Because we as people, we care about that a lot. We want a good leader. We want a leader who would do something for us, right?
but that what Machiavelli objects. He said quite clearly that the leader should be bad if he or she wants to stay in power. Good leaders never remain for long, so be bad and rule for as long as you live. You're probably scratching your heads right now upon hearing what I said. Yes, a leader should be bad to remain in power. But this does not mean that he would act as a bad leader or he would expose himself and say, oh, I'm here, I'm, I'm the bad leader you've got, so what are you, you going to do about it? He would try his level best to hide that and he would masquerade always as a good person. He would even abuse religion for his own sake because he knows that religion is a pillar of stability. So he would play that card. And we the people will be always hopeful and waiting for the good coming out from this government, but never. It never does anything good. And the book mentions as well that if the leader gets exposed, like corrupt or whatnot, he would plot it. He would make somebody else appear as if he was behind all of those things. And we the people buy that and think this is a good ruler and he has to continue. The book as well mentions whether the leader should be beloved or hated. We the ordinary people might say, yeah, he must be beloved so that he can stay. If people hate the leader, this is his end. But the book says something else. It says there has to be a balance between the two. According to Machiavelli, you could be the most beloved leader there is and get power easily, but staying in power would be your problem. You won't remain for long. Because he says, if you are beloved, you are not feared. So you should be hated, because there you are feared. But he still talks about balance between hate and love. Don't be too beloved, because there you are not feared. And don't be too hated, because there you create more enemies. So the balance he's talking about is to be good to some, and to be bad to some. So when the latter decides to get rid of you, those who you were always good to will come to your rescue, and become your shield, because of they have vested interest in this. Which means that you have to be good to all who have influence in the place you rule, but by keeping them in check. You still remember the lion and the wolf? So this is where they come into play. But if you were to choose between a good or a bad leader, the book tells you, be a bad leader. It's better for you. Speaking of which, the leader in Machiavelli's view should be harsh. And he divided this harshness into two. Impervious one and wise one. The wise one is designed to inject fear in people's heart. And this is what he preferred. But the impervious one increases unstoppably. And this has brought about the downfall of a lot of leaders. So he doesn't recommend it. Don't forget, Machiavelli wants to keep leaders in power. So you, the leader, be wise, bad, and feared. Because you know what? Power is fear. So we're wrapping up here. Hopefully I brought to your ears so much information that would help you navigate the complexity of governance, of leadership, and what have you. But before we go, I have to answer one or two questions that I got emailed from Ahmed Amarshain. He's a friend and a surprisingly good writer. He's really fun to read. So the question is, what type of guests do you invite? English-speaking guests only? My answer is yes. I want to sit with people from all walks of life who have interesting things to share, but in English. Hopefully this answers you. For the other questions, I think we should wait till we meet and sit and have a long-form discussion, if God wills. So thank you so very much, all of you, for tuning in, and be well. Ciao.